So uh, a few weeks ago, I heard someone use a term that I had never heard before, and that was the term FOMO. So how many of you know what FOMO is? Okay, I don't feel too stupid. Okay, uh, so anyway, FOMO is, it stands for the fear of missing out. The fear of missing out. And, you know, because of social media, we are way more connected to what everyone else is doing, right? And so FOMO is this sense of uh, apprehension or fear that something exciting and fun is happening and you're not there. Uh, you, are, you are missing out on that. Now, I, while I would certainly not wish that experience on anyone, um, there, there is a form of FOMO that I think could actually be spiritually beneficial to us today. And that is a fear of missing out on the resurrection of Jesus. See, in the passage that we're going to be looking at today, the Apostle Paul describes what our lives could look like because of the resurrection of Jesus. And when I read this passage, I'm like, I don't want to miss out on that. (laughs) I don't want to miss out on that. I don't want to miss out on living that kind of life. And I know you feel the same way as I do. So if you have your Bible or Bible app, uh, feel free to turn. You don't have to, but if you brought something like that, feel free to turn to the book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the city of Ephesus sometime around 62 AD. And in this letter, Paul spends the first few chapters focusing on all the amazing things that Jesus provides for anyone and everyone who is in him. So if you have a relationship with Christ, all of these amazing things are yours. So I remember when Raylene and I um, bought a new car. We don't do this very often at all, um, but a few years ago, we bought a new car. And so we had signed all the paperwork and, and all this done. So the, the, the salesperson took us out into the lot to actually get into our car. And she got in with us and she began just showing us all the accessories and all the cool things that this car could do, right? The car was ours, but she was there showing us all this. She was just wanting us to know the fullness of what we had in our possession. And that's, that's exactly what Paul is doing in these first few chapters. He is showing any believer in Jesus what they actually have because of Jesus. So you are forgiven completely. You are loved unconditionally. You have the spirit of God in you. You are alive in Christ. These things are all permanently yours when you are in Christ. They all, they all come with Jesus when you receive him. All of those things come with Jesus when you receive him. But as we've been saying all along in this teaching series, the critical question is, are we living in these realities? I mean, it's cool to have a sunroof in your car, but if you never use it, you are missing out on something you already own, right? You already have, but you're missing out. Are we living in the amazing realities that are ours in Christ? We don't want to miss out on all that God has for us. Which brings us to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6, where Paul makes another incredible statement about what is true of us in Christ. So let's read this. Let's read it out loud together, if you're willing. Read this out loud with me. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him 
in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Now, this is an amazing statement. And to fully understand why this is an amazing statement, we need to look back at chapter 1, where there is a similar verse. But this verse in chapter 1 uses similar language, but it's talking about Jesus. So look, we're going to go back to chapter 1. Look at what this says about Jesus. That power is the same as the mighty strength God exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Okay, follow me here. The verse I just read is talking about the actual resurrection of Jesus. How Jesus was, after he was crucified, dead, buried in a tomb, God raised him from the dead, literally, and then seated him in the heavenly realms, which is really cool. Jesus defeated death, and then he ascended into heaven to sit at the right hand of God in this place of absolute authority. So that's we, we celebrate that reality this weekend, right? We celebrate that reality on Easter. He is risen, which is awesome. But now with that in mind, I want us to go back and look at the verse we started with, chapter 2, verse 6. And now I'm going to read this again, and I want you to have in mind what we just read about Jesus in verse 20 of chapter 1. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Do you hear what this is saying? Paul is using the exact same language as in chapter one, describing Jesus' resurrection, but now we are included in it. We are raised up with Christ. We are seated with him in the heavenly realm. See, Paul is describing a reality that is ours in Christ. This is not, this is not describing something in the future. Oh yeah, one day we'll be resurrected with Jesus. No, no, no. This is describing something that is ours right now. We are raised with Christ and we are seated with him in the heavenly realms. So what the heck does that mean? Uh, what does the heck does that mean, especially as it relates to us in our everyday lives? Well, what does this mean for us Monday morning at work or at school, what does this mean in our relationships, in our walk with God? Well, that's what I want us to look at in the time we have together here. We don't want to miss out on anything God has for us, especially something this significant. Okay, so, so let's unpack this a little further. Two things Paul says are true of us. First, we are raised with Christ. This word, it's the exact same word Paul uses in chapter one, describing Jesus' resurrection. But Paul, right here, he adds a little tiny word with it. He joins it. It's the word with. We are raised with Christ. In a very real and somewhat mystical way, we are actually united with Jesus in his resurrection. See, the, the resurrection wasn't just a past event. It is a present reality. His life is now our life. We have been made alive in Jesus. Okay, so what does that mean, practically speaking? It means this. It means that wherever you are, it means that whatever you are walking through, Jesus is with you and is bringing life. 
Whatever you are walking through, whatever you are going through, Jesus is with you and he is bringing life because that's what he does. He brings life. So a few weeks ago, I I, um, got a text from a, a pastor friend of mine and he told me that his wife had just been diagnosed with this very aggressive form of brain cancer. And I went down to see them, um, this was just two weeks ago, went down on Sunday afternoon, went to, to Denver Hospital, and we wept together, and we prayed together, and we experienced Jesus' presence. You see, for a God like Jesus, who experienced death and then rose from the dead, brain cancer is not big enough to keep him away. In fact... He's sort of got everything covered, right? If brain cancer takes her life, he promises life with him on the other side where there is no death or cancer or pain. And if he heals her or or her life is extended through chemotherapy, he is walking with her through that as well. See, to be united with Jesus in his resurrection means that not even death can keep us from his love and his eternal purposes for us. Now, now please hear me, please hear me. I am not minimizing this situation. When I heard about it, when, when, I, when I got that text, when I heard about her cancer, I just, I wept for my friend and have other moments weeping for my friend. And I, I, thought of, I thought of Raylene, I thought of my own wife. And how would I handle that? If she, how devastated I would be if, if just to get that kind of news. So, so I'm not minimizing this. I'm not minimizing the very real pain and grief and confusion in all of this. But here is something, that, but there's something else that I'm not doing. I am not going to take my eyes off the resurrected one who rose from the dead so that cancer would not have the final word. I'm not going to take my eyes off of him. We are united with Jesus in his resurrection and nothing can change that. Nothing that our enemy throws our way can change that. Our failures don't change that. Our battle with anxiety or depression, those things don't change that. Our financial crises do not change that. Our disappointing marriage doesn't change that. We are united with a Jesus who rose from the dead, who conquered the worst that the enemy could throw his way. That's our Savior. And he invites us to view our circumstance, to view every circumstance through that resurrected lens. He invites us to view every circumstance through this resurrected lens. We are raised with him. We have hope no matter what our circumstances. Now, the other thing that Paul says here, he says, secondly, he says, we are not only raised with Christ, we are seated with Christ In the heavenly realms. Now, on the surface, this doesn't sound too exciting, right? Usually sitting down doesn't signify anything of real significance. But here, it does. Um, In fact, I would argue that the word seated 
in this verse is perhaps the most important word in the entire first few chapters of Ephesians. And yet it is a word that a lot of Christ followers don't fully embrace. And here's why. Here's why. To be seated feels like this posture of inactivity. We're not doing anything. We're not walking. We're not running. We're not moving. We're just sitting. And that feels so unproductive. But all of that changes. All of that changes when we bring Jesus into the picture. Chapter one, earlier, we read that God raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenly realms. That seat that Christ took is not a seat of inactivity. No, it is a seat of completion. It is a seat of completion. The reason Christ was seated was because the work was done. On the cross, Jesus didn't say, we're making progress. And he didn't say, I'm working on it. No, no, no. He said, it is finished. He sat down because he had done all that was required for us to be reconciled to him. He had done all that was required for us to be forgiven by him and filled with his love and his presence. So think with that in mind, think about what this means. If, if as we just read, we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. It means there is no work left to do. There is nothing to earn. There is nothing to prove. There is nothing we can do to add to what Christ has already done for us. If we don't get this, folks, if we don't get this, we don't understand the essence of Christianity. If we don't get this, we don't understand the essence of Christianity. I mean, so many people, so many people in the church, outside the church, so many people get this backwards. See, they think Christianity is all about what we need to do in order to get God to love us and accept us. And so we try to clean up our lives and work on our language and, you know, try to be a good person. And we go to church when we can. And, you know, we're trying to make ourselves acceptable enough. We're trying to make ourselves uh, acceptable. All the while that we're doing that, we're carrying around a boatload of guilt and shame and eventually exhaustion as we're trying to perform our way into a relationship with God. And when we're doing that, notice our posture in that process. We're standing. We're working. We are doing. We are not seated. We are not trusting in what Jesus has done. We are basing our identity on what we can do. And that doesn't work. That's religion, honestly. That's religion. I, I, I was reading a book... And this person writing said that religion starts by putting burdens on us. Jesus starts by taking burdens off of us. Huge difference. Huge difference. See, if you are trying to earn God's love, if you're trying to impress him and make yourself more acceptable, you are not seated with Christ. 
You're not trusting in his finished work. You're trying to do the work yourself. So the other day, I was um, <laughs> putting dishes in the dishwasher, right? And then I, I had all the dishes in there, and I opened up the cupboard to get this dishwasher tab out. You know what I mean? The dishwasher tab, it's that rectangle thing. It's sort of this hard sort of thing of soap and all that. It's this rectangle thing, and you, 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 you put it in the little compartment, right? So I'd done this hundreds of times, right? Um, so up to this moment... This little tab had always been wrapped in this foil, in this really easy to open foil. But now, but now this box was filled with all these tabs that had a very tight plastic around them. Um, and so I looked at the directions on the box. I looked at the directions and the box said, first step, remove the wrapping. Um, and so I tried to remove this wrapping from this dishwasher tab. I tried fingernails and scissors, and I was just getting so frustrated. By the time pieces were on the floor, you know, I was just trying to get this open, and, and, and it was just so frustrating. Everything's all on the floor. It was very frustrating. I mean, definitely a first world, you know, problem, but it was, still made me angry, okay? I, I was angry. So later, I finally got pieces in there and did, did the thing, and, and later I talked with Raylene, <laughs> I talked to Raylene about this, and she said, you're not supposed to remove the wrapper. It dissolves. So I, I said, well, look at the box. So I went and I got the box, and I showed her. I read her the first step that said, unwrap it, right? Remove the wrapper. And she said, oh, I just kept that box because it was bigger. <laughs> I put the, the new tabs in that box. So I was following the directions. I really was. I was following the directions on the box, but it was the wrong box. <laughs> so let me just ask, what directions are you following in your spiritual journey? What directions are you following? The directions that say, do it yourself. Remove your own whatever. Do it on your own. Or are you following the directions that say you don't have to remove the stuff on your own? The work has already been done by Jesus. See, for the first several years of my Christian life, I was trying so hard to remove that shrink wrap, you know, to clean up my life so that God would accept me. And that the problem was I never felt like it was enough. I just never felt like I could never be good enough. I could never be pure enough. I could never be acceptable enough. It was so discouraging and so exhausting. And I now see why. I wasn't trusting what Jesus had done. I was trusting in what I could do. The pressure was on me to perform. And I completely missed the life God invited me to experience. See, here, here's a radical idea, a radical thought, um, but I think it kind of summarizes the essence of what we've been talking about here. here, here here's, here's how I would articulate. This is totally true. The way to experience the power of the resurrection is by resting in the resurrected one. The way to experience the power of the resurrection is by resting in the resurrected one. To be seated with Christ in the heavenly realms is to choose to rest in what he has already done for you. (laughs) 
resting in what he's already done for you. Receive his grace. Let his grace define who you are. You are not an orphan begging for attention. You are not an employee who's got to perform in order to be accepted. No, no, no. You are God's beloved son or daughter. So live in what Christ has already done for you. And you know what will happen? You will experience Jesus' love and his resurrection power transforming you into the person that God designed you to be. That's what happens when we choose to rest in his finished work. Let's pray. So I want to just give a couple of responses here, opportunities to respond. First of all, there are some of you here and you know what you need is a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you've been trying to perform and trying to go to church, all that stuff. And what you need is just to stop trying and receive this gift of his forgiveness and salvation for you. So if that's you, I'm just going to lead you in a, a prayer and just pray with me in the silence of your heart. Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I choose to receive the work you have done. Come into my life as I place my trust in you. Change me from the inside out through the power of your love. So Lord, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer. Thank you. Help them grow in this amazing relationship where you have done all the work and all they need to do is rest. And for others here, maybe you, you know Jesus, you prayed to receive that, you know, you prayed years ago or whenever, you know Jesus, he lives in you, but I just want to ask you, are you living in the utter relief of what it means to be seated with Christ. Lord, would you help us rest in your finished work and to find joy and life and transformation in this place of rest, resting in you. And I pray too for us, this question, are we living in the reality of being raised with him no matter what you were going through? Jesus is walking with you and he brings life along with him. And so Lord, I just wanna pray for that. I pray for us, whatever we're walking through, we would experience your resurrection life knowing <laughs> that you are walking with us and you always bring life. We love you for that. So help us, help us to embrace these truths more deeply and to be transformed by them. And Lord, we thank you that we have this opportunity now to celebrate through singing, through praise, through prayer, whatever it happens to be, Lord, we would have this opportunity to celebrate the amazing Savior you are. <laughs> you are, you are 
uh, you're risen from the dead, you're seated in the heavenly realms, and, and we are with you in that. So set us free right now to worship you, to worship you. So why don't we stand as we're going to continue just to celebrate and praise this amazing Savior who is ours. Set us free, God, to do that. We love you.